Good morning, afternoon, and evening, CSS Nation. We are back again for episode 21. I have my co-host, Pernell Husband, and myself, Harry Mullen. How you doing, Pernell? I'm doing very well, Harry. How are you today? Excellent, as always. And awesome. uh, just a quick reminder to everybody, please be sure to uh, hit the like button, subscribe to our channel here, and uh, and share if you like it. Now, uh, I'm going to go into, uh, you know, we've been doing some past episodes. We talked about Amy Standards. Uh, we did a manager's corner before, and we're bringing that back again today. Uh, so today, this episode is manager's corner, and we have a special guest uh, that we're bringing on. I had seen her uh, post on LinkedIn talking about we, and it was a list of items that we as sterile processing do that a lot of people aren't aware of. And uh, so what I'm going to do is introduce her right now. Her name is Randallyn Walters. She's currently a system sterilization program manager working on education and compliance uh, for Periop. She deals with high level uh, disinfection and sterile processing. She currently holds her CRCST, her CIS, CHL, and CER certification, uh, along with Bloodboard Pathogen uh, as a trainer. And she has over 11 years of experience with process improvement within the sterile processing area and dealing with senior clinical uh, education within the industry. And uh, she uh, is also on the advisory group board with Beyond Clean. Uh, she is a subject matter expert with Isham, as well as an Amy uh, member, and is also a published writer with Amy and Isham and Healthcare Purchasing News. And uh, so in her 11 plus years, she's been a technician, a scrub tech, OB tech, SBD educator, and a sterile processing manager. And without further ado, I would like to bring on to the show, Randallyn Walters. How you doing, Randallyn? Great. How are you all doing? Excellent. Brunel? <laughs> doing really well. Doing very well. Thank you, Randallyn. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for the invite and uh, having me on the show. I'm very excited. This is This is great. Well, we're really excited to uh, to have you here as well. Um, again, going into the article or the the post that you put in about uh, we as sterile processing technicians, um, can you go over just uh, cover a couple of the bullet points that uh, if you can remember? Sure, sure. No, no, you're not. <laughs> I, I don't have it in front of me either. But it was just a, it's just a, it's it's right there because it's the thought process of every day. Um, basically, the unknown coming into sterile processing, and the Isham has been focusing lately on we are sterile processing. It's the same mentality, um, but we don't know what we're going to walk into every day. We need to work together as a team. We um, wouldn't have surgery. That was a big. That was a big one that caught some attention. We would not have surgery without sterile processing. Without surgery, we don't have anesthesiologists or surgeons, and it's this continuous pattern. So when you really say the backbone of the hospital, it's more than that. It's a we. It's the entire collaboration of circle that should be full forced. Um, and one of the other biggest things too with the walking into the the unknown backlog, if you will, the the never-ending mound trades. And so 
just kind of throwing that all together about the team mentality. Yeah, it's uh, it was very impressive, and and like I said, I when I read through it, it every single line touched me. I've been there. I've been, uh, you know, been trying to explain to senior leaderships for years, and I think it's something that uh, I'm sure that everybody who came across it that is in the sterile processing field uh, relates to, you know. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I got uh, 184 people have reached out uh, with some commentary, all positive, all positive, a lot of sterile processing connections since the post and about 3,500 views. So it's, it's, it's reaching the industry and it's, it's having some good positive effect. So that's, that's, that's why I'm here. <laughs> good stuff. Listen, yeah. so all journeys start somewhere and CSS nation would love to know how did your journey towards sterile processing begin? What's the backstory? try to scrunch it down into a, a nutshell because there's a, a wide variety of experience there, but didn't know I was going to go into healthcare. Um, started as a certified nurse assistant and did the nursing assistant program. The CNA program had some openings. Uh, once upon a time, I just graduated high school and so did the nursing assistant at a nursing home. And um, that really touched me, the, the patients, mm -hmm. just working in that environment seeing the need for patient advocates. And so I felt, oh, this is great, but I didn't want to go nursing. And I, I knew I, I wanted to do something else. I wasn't really sure what it was. So I went and toured at some local hospitals. Um, my aunt worked at one, she's in mammography. She has been for 30 plus years. And so I thought, okay, oh, ray, you know, radiology or x-ray pathway. So went and applied, got in um, to that program. And unfortunately, there was a, a never ending wait list <laughs> at the time. So I waited my turn. I worked full time. I did some volunteer work. I did all kinds of things to kind of dabble around. Um, and I waited two years was a wait list for that. And uh, when it came my turn, uh, they pulled my application and and I went and sat down with the counselor and they lost my application. So mm -hmm. I lost my place in line. So I thought, all right, this is my opportunity to to pick and choose. Let's 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 change it up. So I went and toured another facility and I, I begged and begged. We weren't supposed to see the operating room, but I was, you know, kind of made some connections and I got to see the OR and that was that was the game changer. So I said that I want to be involved with this, this technical, intricate something. What can I do? So I applied for the surge tech program, got in, graduated with an associate's degree for surgical technology, started on that pathway. But um, during the program, the hospital that we were doing our clinical hours at needed help in sterile processing. They, they were in need as many. And so I was doing per diem. I was doing as needed, you know, PRN whatever you call it now, um, as needed, but I was trying to pick up as many hours as I could and learn everything that I could. I, I actually was folding towels, um, in linen in a closet and, you know, delinting and just wrapping, wrapping reusable gowns and towels at, at the time and was like, holy cow, this is, this is pretty amazing. I didn't know this existed. So I went through, I worked as a scrub tech, OB tech, labor and delivery tech, um, but always worked in sterile processing at the same time. And that was my, that was my gateway to, to SD and been with it ever since over 10 years and 
have not gone back to scrubbing, but I've fulfilled multiple like different roles in in periop across the board. But um, I'm sticking with it. So I love I love that I found it, and and this is where my passion is. That is well, awesome. You know, yeah, it it is absolutely great. So now I know I do know that in your uh, post you had stated we don't really want to have the backlog that we do. Right. So can you uh, go into a little bit more detail about what, uh, you know, like backlog, what, first of all, what does it mean to you yeah. and what does it take uh, in order to fix uh, the backlog situation in, in uh, your experience? So <laughs> backlog uh, really as a definition, it can be, we cannot produce enough or we cannot produce what is being used at that consistent speed. Too many things are being opened or the operating room is using more things or or there's more things being utilized than we can produce or at that equal speed. So with that being said, you have to factor in human factors, processes, everything in sterile processing that takes place that's maybe not accounted for. So yes, we have our main areas of assembly and decon and moving through those processes, but what about all of the other things that you're doing throughout the day? And so I feel like um, we don't want to have that. We don't want to walk in and be behind. That means we're behind. We can't keep up. We, we're trying, but seeing the mound of trays when you come in, no matter what you tell your technician is going to interfere with their ability to focus or the morale because they know right off the bat they're 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 behind and then you go into this um conversation of oh well quality over quantity well do you really believe in quality over quantity yes we should but it's very hard to just block out this 200 trays that are staring you in the face um, when you're trying your hardest to to focus on quality. So um, it's important. It's important to recognize that it does um, make SPD technicians feel a certain way, not just the manager. It affects everyone in that department. It's a safety concern. Um, you know, are, are they, are they, you know, stacked properly? You have instrument damage you're facing because of the way that you're, you know, stacking the stuff up. And so I like to think about it in a perspective of throughput. If we have, um, for example, like I pull our numbers um, currently and I run reports to look at what's our throughput. If we pull 2,000 cases, that's something that case carts we've done in a month, 2,500 in a month. And then you look at our decontam numbers that come through. We have 24,000 trays that come through in decontam in a month. We have 48 staff members at the time. So do the calculations. How, how, can, how can 48 people, even though it's a 24-7 process, how can you really expect us to produce that? There's the unreliability of the equipment, the things that happen that we have no control over. And the other way to really look at this where I feel like we probably have some better outcomes would be to look at it in the operating room. We have 248 staff members in Periot and we have 48 SPD. They don't work, we don't operate 24 seven. We do if it's an emergency, but you have your block time and your scheduled time. You also have a preference card that a surgeon has preferences on there on how they wanna do everything from the 
they love from the moment they walk in to the moment they leave. The same for their resident, the same for the scrub tech. There's very detailed ways that they teach you a septic technique. Everything in the OR is kind of this like very scheduled, at least try to get it as regimented as you can. Sterile processing is not like that. When you come in for the day, you don't have a preference card or standard work instructions. I mean, that's a way of the future, but are you really given a preference card that says here, this is what you have to do. And then if you deviate from that, are we able to correct them to get them back on the right path? And that's just, that's just not happening. And so how can we compare the amount of stuff that you open in the operating room and truly expect, um, you know, that sterile processing is going to produce the same amount until we start to treat it, treat it that way. More of a structured, regimented, routine process where we know we can rely on um, our mechanical washers and that it's not going to break down. I know that if OR light and the OR breaks down, I mean, everyone stops, right? You're not moving forward. In SPD, you're moving forward. So of course you're going to have backlog. Absolutely. And, you know, <laughs> You know, you talk about the preference cards for the for the surgeons. We don't have it, but uh, you know, you really think about what adds to the backlog. It's the fact that you know, I see in the operating rooms, uh, the periops that I've worked with, that you have your clinical coordinators that don't keep up with yes. uh, updating those preference cards, and so oftentimes we're pulling stuff that the doctor, you know, they had on there. And, uh, but the doctor never uses, and let's say another room needs it, but uh, it's not available because it's in this room. And they put it on there because the doctor called for it five years ago, and the nurse just did not want to take a chance of not having it available for him because right. the one time he asked for it, it wasn't there because it wasn't on the preference card, but he hasn't asked for it since. You know, yeah. So, trust, trust, know. trust will fix that. But you have to have trust in us that we're going to get it to you and we have to deliver on that. But also data. I mean, data is key. So making sure that we're updating everything that we possibly can. So the information we do have, the instructions for use, the preference cards, whatever information we're provided um, is accurate so that when we do have an opportunity to follow those instructions, we, we actually just came up with this. Um, I developed a, a sterile returns report. I started collecting the data a year ago, and now it's finally, I have enough data for the past 12 months that I can start presenting this to um, administration. And it shows, here's all of our service lines. I pull it every month, all the service lines, all of the items that were requested but returned, how many times they were requested and returned in the past month or six months. And, and I'm trending that. And I just sent out a report uh, in regards to that. You know, we're doing it together. Um, a data analyst we have together. We're, we're sending this. But looking at this, it's like, okay, now we see some trends. And though now look at your quality defects. Are they the items that you see with the holes? Or are they the items that aren't being opened and can we move them? Can they live in the OR? You know, things like that. So data, data is a key component of that also, um, along with human, human error factor and just being given, you know, the appropriate tools. Yeah. I think you mentioned, uh, a really critical component and that one being trust. And 
Um, you know, trust kind of goes hand in hand with us delivering the goods and making sure that we're delivering consistently. Yeah. I'm going to shift gears on you here a little bit. You also spoke in um, that post about the need to be recognized. Okay. Uh, what steps have you uh, personally taken and what advice would you give to fellow managers, directors about the importance of recognizing staff and how have you uh, mm -hmm. done that? Um, through a couple different ways. I'm, it's still a work in, work in, in progress. Um, and a lot of this is stuff that we've heard before, but actually doing it and seeing if it works. The first is revamping orientation and trying to work towards a better orientation plan to include sterile processing and surgical techs across the board. So not only the, um, hey, I need to send my SPD tech up there to do an OR observation. Yeah, we want you to observe the case, but we want more than that. So what I would like to do, and I'm trying to work on a plan for this, is a true buddy system. Not only does that allow the scrub tech to learn day in and day out, an eight hour shift or longer, what the sterile processing tech has to do in its entirety, like when stuff starts breaking, things like that. And the same for an SPD tech to learn in the OR, what they have to do, why they call stat when they call stat, why, you know, all of that stuff that happens. And then those two people having a relationship that they can set an example, because chances are if, if you're not just an SPD tech, but I know that you're Betty and I'm Randolyn and you're Pernell and Harry, I'm probably going to treat you a little bit and build the trust. So that in itself will start to recognize sterile processing for what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. And then partnering with surgeons and chairs and inviting, um, you know, we have a surgeon that is always reaching out and asking for, for me to send staff up to, to their room and, and they want to teach and they want to talk about what it is to do surgery and all of that. And now that surgeon's going to start coming down um, regularly, not just to say hi, but actually during the in-services, during the education to speak to how those instruments are used and why it's important. So really finding your advocates um, outside of the department is huge. Um, anybody, infection prevention, a surgeon, a C-suite member, anybody that you are able to show. Um, we actually have a safety officer who works in facilities and um, that's my next, that's my next tackle. We just talked about this a couple weeks ago. So going to be having them come down, try to get them to spend some time with the apprentice um, students that I'm teaching in decontam. So when you talk about temperature and humidity, and, and working at a sink, it's more than just when you walk through decon that you feel the heat. It's now put all your PPE on. I want you to unload the, the, the lift for three hours. And then I want you to put your, your hands in some 90 plus degree water. Feel what they have to feel. That is going to cause some massive recognition because things will start to shift um, and we'll have more, more of an advocate. And then lastly, um, just getting the word out. I send education memos out, you know, weekly, monthly. I'm working with marketing um, right now on a poster um, campaign. 
So I started making SPD posters. I have them all over the you know, hospital. I have them in the department. Now the physician network is starting to use my, my posters from the, some are decon like PPE posters and it says SPD heroes. And some of them are all about pre-enzymatic treatment and the importance of pre-cleaning, but it's got our little logo on it. And I, I put a different picture on there, you know, every time I, I take pictures of our department and uh, have volunteers, SPD techs that want to come and take their picture and add a fun little graphic design and then and post it somewhere. Get it out in the intercom magazine. Get it out there. Share it with somebody because, um, you know, you'll, you never know who you're going to catch. So I think through continuous education, not being afraid to speak up um, and just partnering, partnering with people and get, getting them on your side. I mean, any, anybody, it, it really it really helps. I love the idea of focusing on orientation and where it begins because that sort of sets the tone. Yeah. You're coming into this organization and we've made this a priority. We want you to come down. We want you to see what's going on so that it clicks right away. So yeah. I really love that and bringing folks into the department from different disciplines that have an impact on the work that we do. Um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. The, even just the touring, that that's another thing we started doing. I, I do tours of the department. We do um, our students from the college and there's another one. We do our fellowship. So we have four of our fellowship students. They just came, they spent, you know, three, four, it was supposed to be an hour. They were with me for like four and a half hours because, you know, I, I got them all suited up and I took a bunch of pictures. I made them hold the instruments and go through things. So that, that in itself helped because they, they go back to their school. They go back um, out to, you know, the practices and they communicate um, so those tours have really been a great, a great focus area. And then the partners program is another one we do for high school students. And our last partners program, we had about, I think, 38 in one in one day. Um, so I go for two hours and set up, you know, two long tables and I do about six different demos. They get to touch the stuff and this and that. And all of them at the end, you know, you ask them, have you ever heard of this? They said, I we had no idea. Now, and, th and these are high school students, so it's you're able to you know inform them before they're making their you know career long decisions. So, yeah. well, you know that that kind of shows me that I mean, in what you're describing, does go a long way in order to recognize the industry as a whole. Like you said, you're talking to fellows, you're talking to high school students, you know, about the possibility they get to see, they get to touch. And uh, I think that's really awesome, which uh, kind of the, so part of that recognition uh, leads me into my next question, you know, dealing with the C-suites. As we know, <laughs> oftentimes in SPD, we have, uh, you know, because we're unknown um, until that proverbial S hits the fan, you know. So do you have any suggestions that can, you know, to, to push it on up a little bit higher, you know, we talk about the C-suites, uh, so that they know more about us uh, long before any of the problems, uh, you know, are being, are starting to occur that ends up shining light on us. So are there, is it, what are you doing as far as educating the C-suites about sterile processing? 
Yeah, so I'll speak outside of just, um, well, from history's perspective, very challenging, very challenging um, in manager role, extremely challenging at the time because you just know that there's a different set of um, priorities. They're dealing with a lot of things, a lot of budget, a lot of financial um, things that, you know, we're, I'm maybe not thinking of. So it, I understand that and I have a respect for them in that capacity, but there has to be a time and a place. So the first uh, thing I could say is, is setting the time and the place, because when you do get your opportunity, you better present on the, uh, even if it's five minutes, pick the priority items that prioritize what it is you're going to say. Um, don't just do it in passing. Don't allow it to just be, hey, I saw you in the hallway or, hey, I see you in the cafeteria. When you do see them in those opportunities, you know, say, I need some time with you. Wait until it's the right time and make sure you prioritize what you want to say so you can present. A lot of times it's it's patient safety, pull in patient safety, pull in um, opportunity you know, stay motivated. If there's an issue that in particular that you're you're trying to um, come up with a plan on, make sure to have a resolution. Don't, one thing with C-suite members, like don't just present uh, the problem, make sure you have a resolution, have some data to back it up, you know, whatever you can, because chances are they're, they're going to hear you when it's when it's patient, patient stuff or opportunities to make the process better. Safety is always a big one. I always use safety, um, you know, or regulatory compliance things. Um, biggest would be uh, also like a committee. So I would say um moving forward a few years now i'm thinking about another organization sitting on the the policy committee ask to be involved in the policy writing process if there's not already a sterile processing advocate volunteer volunteer for it maybe the manager's already on it so ask if you're able to connect with the, with the, your manager and if they're not volunteer say i want to i want to be more involved in a policy committee then when you get the committee together invite one, invite the C-suite member or bring them into these conversations because they're all about policies and procedures. So I've seen that kind of be a win um, depending depending on the organization and and then fast forwarding to now even more current um, the structure. So the organizational structure of the uh, of the hospital itself or whoever it is you're working for. If there's a lot of blocks, roadblocks from SPD to when it hits up to the C-suite or an advocate for the C-suite, try to break those roadblocks or find a way to connect somehow. Um, right now, you know, at the organization I'm working for, we we are involved. We they're they're very much involved, our administration, you know. Um, I personally report to the assistant vice president. So by having that direct line and removing the director position, um, they hear me loud and clear. So that if that's an option that I see success, I see them involved in all the projects. Um, you know, we have biweekly meetings where we, we present, I'm able to present on any topics. So that's also something, I mean, you don't always have control over all of that, but just to any listeners, you know, depending on who you are, there are things to consider. Um, 
with some reorganization and things to make sure that sterile processing feels supported. Awesome. <laughs> um, no, no questions on, on that for me. I thought you made um, the case pretty clear. Now, our folks in sterile processing, on top of needing constant continuing education, because our field is so dynamic and constantly changing. Um, the regulatory landscape is just broad. Yeah. Um, what kinds of things can facilities do uh, to continue to nurture and to grow sterile processing technicians? I hear that uh, where you are, you're doing some, some wonderful things in that regard. Would you mind sharing some of those things and perhaps talk about how critically important uh, that is? Yeah, um, so a couple different objectives. The the first ever, um, I'm so excited, woo! The first ever uh, SPD apprenticeship for the state of South Carolina. I'm, I'm leading that whole thing. So developed the curriculum, um, implemented our first year, and um, we will be graduating our first two-year student uh, September, the second week of September. So I'm actually graduating them six months early because the Congratulations. Thank you. I'm very excited. I'm um, working on a little uh, ceremony currently, but they, they had the outline created before I was, came on board and it was 18 months. And so while I understood, yeah, I get that, but I've shortened it to 12 months. That was pretty much the shortest I could get. They do have to take three, um, college courses and we pay for that. And so the biggest component of this apprenticeship, um, success and the important piece of this is we are recruiting um, our own. So we are hiring internally. So our apprenticeship program will not hire external outside of the organization. It's for individuals who are working for us and are looking for a career change. So they vacate their previous role. They apply, they go through a, a pretty strong interview process, and then we select our candidates. I have, you know, human resources involved and staff development is involved and our sterile processing manager. And so we make a decision. Um, the first year, because it was a trial, we took um, two, we have two students that are graduating. This year, we selected six. So not only have these individuals that are, you know, choosing to leave their previous role, this speaks volumes. They, some of them can be, it can be anything in the organization. So I see applicants from office business associates to nurse techs, to nutrition, dietary professionals all across the board. So it's really great because they're making that, that choice. They decide and then um, they go through the one year with me, they take three college courses, and then they're a certified tech at the end of the year. So I'm currently, um, I have my next group now, I do everything from in-classroom um, sessions with me. I do lunch and learns. I do hands-on training in the department. Um, I don't know if you saw, I had a post up there a couple months ago. I created in a classroom. We didn't have a, a working space, which was a 
a huge barrier. We need we need something, and that's not just for the apprenticeship. Apprenticeship. I felt strongly that the department needed education also. So if we're going to be giving it to some newcomers, we gotta do it across the board for all of our tenured staff. So I do mandatory learnings. Um, they can come out of the department. I'm really trying to shift uh, the historic way of doing in-services, either everybody gathers at huddle and you cram as much information into their brain. When night shift's coming off their shift, they want to go to sleep. You know, half of them just got there. They're, they're, their brains aren't ready for this overload of information. So now I'm doing them midday. I do 10 a.m., I do noon, I do 1, and I do 4 p.m. And then I do one 5 a.m. session for the night crew. Um, if, if they want, they can let me know if they want something else. They just have to reach out. I do a sign up sheet and I they get to come into the classroom. I only take six people. Six is the max that'll take. So I've just finished some, it was decon. We did decontamination, three sink method, the importance of proper brush technique and chemistries and enzymatics. What are they? And so we, we just completed that. I mean, I had two whiteboards filled with information that they're sharing. They're openly discussing, hey, we feel this way or, oh, I didn't know this about this. So by setting a really interactive kind of SPD safe zone in this room, they're much more uh, involved. They're much more focused and they're comfortable and they're building trust with the individuals that are with them. They're feeling confident in sharing like, Hey, I don't like those new brushes we got. They don't work. Let's try something else. So I keep a running list of all the information that's collected. And then I ask them, you know, are you comfortable with me sharing this with the manager or not? Is this something that you would like me to address? Some of them will, they'll erase <laughs> some of the stuff off the board. And we just use that as a little, you know, opportunity. And then the priority items, I, I make a list and, and I collaborate with the manager to say, hey, this is how they're feeling. You know, this is this is the things and we're making we're making progress. We just ordered Da Vinci racks for the washers. Um, just some really, uh, really awesome feedback um, from them. And I send an anonymous survey out to uh, two days later where they're able to provide me feedback. Hey, did you feel like this was useful? Um, let me know what you want the next topic to be. I mean, this is their department. So ultimately, I will support them, however, but you really got to pay attention to, you know, some of the cues that they're dropping and, and try to make a change. So um, it's been great. It's been it's been a great interaction. I, I, I think the team is amazing. So, well, um, first of all, I want to commend you on um, you know, having such a program. I'm sure these technicians who now have their own space can see that, you know, their education is being prioritized and everything that it does for them. I mean, that you talk about nurturing, that is in fact happening and that can make such a huge difference as we know. Uh, one quick question on that. Yeah. How did, was this your brainchild? How did this come about this? Um, uh, what do you call the program? Yeah. Mentorship or apprenticeship? It's, it's just a, a still process approved through the through the state of South Carolina. So South Carolina apprenticeship is a is a pro, is a 
uh, organization in itself, and they approve all different kinds of, of apprenticeships. We have another one in our organization for engineering, and we're mm. considering doing a surgical tech one, but that hasn't that hasn't come to light yet. So you can partner with a, an apprenticeship group, and you just have to check into your state and see if they have that offered. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they don't, then try to develop it on your own or with your organization's backing, maybe marketing, something like that. But South Carolina has a specific outline that you have to fill and a specific amount of credit hours that you have and um, hands-on training hours. So they have the layout. And then I went in and I created all of the curriculum. So the lessons. So I chose yeah, are we going to teach regulations and standards? You know, I I chose all of that and I created all the class material from, I have a book that I actually have printed. It's a, it's a binded book now and all kinds of materials. I mean, obviously we do use Isham because that's the certification they're going to get at the end. And that's one of the classes that they take at Midlands, but I partner with that um, instructor also to make sure that what she's teaching in her class I will touch on it in my class, but I'm going to teach the hands-on piece. So we'll, I partner with her at the college to make sure that it's not redundant and we try to make it really align with their school schedule. So that when they're in school, um, I really made an effort this year to change the outline from last year because last year they started school and they started the program all at the same time. And you know, you're working 40 hours, you're in a new environment, and you're going to school at night. So um, we changed it this year, and this was really, I had human um, resources uh, uh, help me with this, to change it, resubmit it, and get it approved, and they approved it when we explained why. Now they started the program while it was three months earlier um, than expected, but now they're with me for three months and now they're starting the fall semester. So now when they start their class, I already gave them I do flashcards and I do bingo and games on the board about medical term. And then we do um, bio and A and P anatomy and physiology, and then the Isham book. So now these guys are prepped that when they start their school, I feel very confident that they're going to feel good uh, and not be um, feeling overwhelmed. What a wonderful opportunity for them. Mr. H. Well, you know what? Um, what I always try to do, you know, and when uh, Purnell and I went into business together, because uh, we have our educational program here in California, the mm-hmm. main goal was to change the culture within sterile processing. Uh, and uh, because what we find here in California sometimes is this sense of entitlement and, uh, you know, people are focused on themselves and not necessarily focused on the industry or focused on the primary thing, uh, patient care, you know, the, the, the quality outcomes for patient care. And from what I'm listening from uh, this episode here, uh, you're doing a bang up job in uh, helping to change the culture. And I got to tell you, um, I'm really excited. I was really happy uh, that you came on uh, this show. You know, it's really exciting to hear all of this. It's just, I, I you know, it, it's wonderful. Thank you. It's exciting so, stuff. Yeah, it, it really is. And it's, uh, it, it's exciting to see somebody uh, such as yourself uh, so young in the, in the field. Uh, Cause you said, you know, 11 years is uh, you know, you're, you know, 
it's almost like you're still in your infancy and you know and you have just so you're much just uh, old, man. You're just more, old. you have so <laughs> much distance that you can go to go with and i really look forward to seeing what's going to be happening because i think what you're doing is eventually going to spill over it's going to it's going to leave south carolina and come in and go into uh, other states and uh, hopefully here in california this is that's this is awesome to hear yeah i'll tell you what uh, there are some dynamic, motivated young folks in the field. Yes. Um, I think our field is is, is well positioned um, to move into the future. You know, with the Marjorie out there doing her thing, yeah. uh, the new folks on the Isham board, yep. they really get it. They're about inclusion. They're about, you know, shifting and moving paradigms. And yeah. um, that's what it's going to take for us to get the kind of credibility that we need to get what we need. So I commend you and all of your efforts. Thank you so much. I, it's enjoyable. If you, if you like what you do and you're passionate about what you do, they tell you that when you're young, but you know, not everybody gets that lucky. So I'm definitely in the right, I'm in the right field and I'm excited to just, Keep going. See you at the next 11 years have. <laughs> Randall and Walters, folks. Absolutely. <laughs> and before we close out, uh, Randall, do you have any uh, final thoughts or anything that you would like to add or share? Any any up new uh, things coming on the horizon uh, in your future and what you're planning that, you, I... that you're willing to share? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I just want to say, first off, thank you. This is great. I, I love what both of you are doing and appreciate the opportunity. Um, I'm, I've got a few I've got a few publications coming out. Um, they're in the works. I'm working on a couple committees um, here and there. I can't say too much, but it's definitely all around this uh, apprenticeship concept. Um, and I've been contacted and, and connecting with a lot of our, our heavy hitters. Again, I'm excited with the Isham board. Um, huge fan of Marjorie and just, you know, just getting the word out there and not even, not even that. I know LinkedIn is, is such a big platform right now, um, professionally and, and, and sterile processing is kind of because there's not too much out there, um, from that perspective of open communication, um, maybe a blog or maybe some type of safe zone um, to communicate in. And so definitely working on a lot of things, super excited. Um, I love being here. I love sterile processing and, and kudos and cheers to everybody out there. Stay strong, yeah. keep doing what you're doing. Make sure that you, you know, get help and ask for support, reach out anytime. I'll help anybody in the field I can. And, and, uh, you know, keep doing what you're Randolin, doing. Um, whenever you want to break some news, whenever <laughs> you want to, you know, get okay. some stuff out there, CSS Nation is strong. Uh, we're with you. And you okay. have an open and a standing invitation here. Thank Does you. she, Mr. H? Absolutely. Anytime. We'd love to be the platform to get that news out for you. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, Thank you so folks, much for being with us. Uh, you know, one one last thing about this is that uh, just remember, while we're all three here in the show right now, remember, we are sterile processing. 
All right. Thanks again, uh, Randolyn. It's been a pleasure uh, to uh, to talk to you. And uh, we look forward to being able to bring you on uh, the show again at some okay. future time. Thank Great. you so Thank much. Thank you. Well, folks, uh, that is uh, the end of uh, another successful show. Of course, I think every show is successful. That's just the way. I'm just a positive person here. Power of positive thinking, Mr. Rich. Yeah. I love it. I got to tell you, um, I that was a powerhouse uh, speaker right there, a guest to have on our show. Uh, I'm really glad that uh, I came across her post on LinkedIn about uh, we uh, in sterile processing. And uh, I highly recommend that you all uh, look for Randolyn on LinkedIn uh, to find that uh, that post. It, uh, it really, I think, will touch you. Uh, again, keep uh, uh, open and aware of things that are coming up. Uh, remember to uh, join us if you're listening to us and you're not currently a member of the Facebook group CSS Nation, we highly suggest that you come to us and join, so we uh, so you can hear these dynamic uh, individuals in our industry. Uh, I'm telling you, it's, it, Pernell, to to hear somebody, you know, and I'm you know because I'm old. You see the gray, I see your gray, and stuff like that. And to know that this we is on purpose, somebody, man. This is yeah. on purpose. Don't you try to mix me in. <laughs> but to know that we have somebody like uh, Randallin out there that's uh bringing up uh the uh you know coming up behind us because you know as uh you know as it happens we have individuals like such as ourselves that we eventually reach retirement and it's really good to know that our industry is in great hands not good hands great hands absolutely mr h um there's some dynamic uh people out there who um, have a passion uh, for this art and science uh, where we make our livelihoods. And um, they're the next generation. They are doing their thing. And um, I'm very proud to be associated um, with these folks. Arandalyn Walters. Yeah, she's going. She's doing big things. Absolutely. Keep an eye out, folks, for her name. Because uh, I think we're going to see more and more of her in the future, not just South Carolina, but, uh, you know, uh, nationwide. I think she's definitely a leader to be keeping an eye on. And with that, any last uh, any last thoughts or words, uh, Mr. P? Absolutely. We'll be back.